everyone to the Farm CPA podcast presented by Top Producer. I am Paul Neefer, your host, and today we're going to have a conversation with Howard Olson at Ag Country, uh, which is a farm credit uh, service bank in based in Fargo, North Dakota, and that's where Howard is based. How are things going, Howard? Ah, uh, very well, thank you, Paul. I, my, tractors my, are moving my, up here. Spring is spring has hit us. So are, is farmers really starting to get everything planted or is there still quite a bit of prevent plant up there? Um, well, we don't have any prevent plant until after the final planting date, but, uh, you know, optimistic, fingers crossed. Uh, farmers got going in the field pretty well and then we just kind of got started. Then we hit some rain over last weekend, um, got going again, or maybe a week and a half ago, got going again. And I think the tractors have been moving pretty steady here the last several days. So should be making some good progress before we hit our next rain showers. Well, and I think that rain you got over the weekend was the rain that we got here starting on, uh, on uh, Wednesday at our house here in uh, the Denver metro area. We had eight inches of rain in about two and a half days. So, uh, uh, you know, I think part of that moved your way. Yeah, that was crazy. We didn't we didn't get that. Southern Minnesota got some heavy four inch rains. We were more around an inch here and at that time. So, well, I'm glad that the farmers are getting everything planted. So, uh, when we do these podcasts, we always like to start off with your background. So, I'll just ask you where you grew up, went to college, and how you got started in in banking. Sure. Uh, great. I grew up on a farm near Mayville, North Dakota, in uh, the eastern part of North Dakota, the Red River Valley. We had uh, small grains and some sunflowers and corn and, and soybeans and so on uh, back then. Uh, went to school at NDSU, North Dakota State University. And um, and then in 1988, had an opportunity to, to uh, join uh, Bremer Bank in Laramore, North Dakota, and um, as the insurance agent in the bank. So my entire career has been in banks, but but not necessarily banking. I've been on the insurance side of everything. And of course, a big part of that initially was crop insurance. Uh, 1988, when I started, that was a major drought year across the Northern Plains, across North Dakota and South Dakota. And so even back then, there was a lot of folks that were taking crop insurance and relied on it um, for, for the, because of that drought that year. And and then it was pretty dry the following year in 89. So a couple of big years and kind of got started into the crop insurance world, um, sort of getting, I guess, dropped right into the fry pan so the, <laughs> or into the fire. That's, that's actually, sometimes that's a good thing because you learn really quickly then. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, so how, how long were you at Brimmer Bank then? I was about five years with Bremer Bank and then five years with uh, Community First in, in Wapaton, uh, North Dakota, and then joined Egg Country Farm Credit Services in 1998. And uh, again, they're leading the insurance department, and that was primarily crop insurance. We also did a little bit of term life insurance for uh, uh, for our mortgage loans and so on, but really the big part was was crop insurance. Eventually, uh, that evolved into the um, being joining the executive leadership team and leading all of our financial services, um, plus our commodity marketing education and our marketing and communications team. So, covered a lot of touched a lot of different bases at Ag Country. Okay, and how big is Ag Country, or what's the footprint for for the bank? Uh, Ed Country Farm Credit Services is a, of course, it's a farmer-owned cooperative, part of the farm credit system. 
Uh, you know, we provide credit and financial services to farmers, ranchers, and agribusinesses. And our we have a specific service area is kind of outlined uh, through the farm credit system. And our particular area covers across northern North Dakota and the eastern third of North Dakota, western half, third to half of Minnesota, and then uh, part of north central Wisconsin. Uh, so a pretty large footprint. We have 44 branch offices, uh, 25,000 members, and uh, somewhere approximately $14 billion in, in assets. So okay. uh, it's a good sized organization. Yeah, for farm credit banks, you're definitely in the top 10 for sure. Right. So your current role now is is definitely evolved and you're more at that executive leadership for the bank. What what are some of the trends that you now are starting to see that you're a little bit worried about for farmers? Uh, I know certainly today I was sort of just glancing a little bit off and on at the pricing and it looks like corn was down maybe 20 25 cents and beans were down uh you know compared to the spring discovery price we're already in that you know if a farmer did 85 percent just based on price you're already seeing a claim a possible claim now we're a long ways away from you know from fall but what, what are some of the things that you're seeing that you're getting a little bit concerned about sure um and, and just to clarify a little bit, my role, uh, I guess I didn't touch on that, but I have um, evolved into government and public affairs at a country. And a big part of that was because of the crop insurance work and working in Washington as an advocate for crop insurance. But coming around to things that were concerned, you, you know, you look at the fall prices and they've certainly have dropped. Um, I guess I haven't compared this recently, but I think we're pretty close to, or maybe even below where they were prior to the Ukraine war starting. And uh, uh, of course that put a, a pretty good jump on prices over the last 12, 16 months or so, but they've fallen off since then. Um, the old crop is still very strong price. We're looking right around $6 up here for corn with um, a strange thing. We have a positive basis at some of the elevators in the area about it. Looking yesterday, we had a five cent positive basis at a few. So. That never, ever, hardly ever happens up here in the Northern Plains on corn. So our concern, so going forward, again, I think the 23 crop year is looking pretty good. Farmers were able to lock in some prices early. The, the uh, input prices, of course, were, were high. Um, but in all of the projections, things looked okay. Um, our, our concern is what happens now through this year and into the fall and and and. Um, lining up for next year. Um, if commodity prices uh, continue to drop off the way they have uh, inputs, those costs never go down as fast. They remain sticky. Cash rents probably have gone up the last couple of years. They really hard to negotiate those back down. So uh, I, I think the profitability and uh, net margin is maybe one of the biggest concerns looking down the road. Uh, again, this year probably looks okay, assuming we get a crop and so on. Uh, but but next year we we start to worry about it. I I think you know history doesn't repeat itself, but it certainly rhymes. This is starting to feel a little bit like 2013. You know, 2013 was going to be a good year, but then 14, 15, 16, 17, certainly 18. Uh, well, maybe 18 is starting to be okay, but uh, I'm not predicting that. But uh, you know, that typically is what happens in the farming 
uh, commodity cycle, you know, you have a couple good years, then you have a couple so-so years, and then you have a couple bad years. You know, it's just something you got to get used to. Yeah, yeah, we do that, and it certainly cycles, and it's because we're for for most of or a big part of production agriculture, corn, wheat, soybean country, we're dealing with commodities, and uh, it, it is a commodity market, and we'll have those cycles. Interesting, you mentioned 2013. Just I want to say about three weeks ago, a colleague of mine from Omaha shared that same idea with me that this is tracking like 2013. And he said, take a look at the corn, the uh, new crop corn futures for 2013. And then look at the 2023 and the charts almost line up exactly with each other. It's, it's scary how close yeah. they are. Yeah, no. And, and uh, you know, we certainly had a good opportunity to, to forward sell some of that uh, crop for this year or even next year. Uh, now, multiple ways you can do that but uh, uh i think those uh those days may be behind us a little bit unless you know obviously weather is never the same you know the weather in 2023 likely isn't going to be the same as 13 but uh, uh we'll see what happens over the next couple months right and and uh we are in the in the weather markets now so it'll be watching how does the crop through the midwest look and through the i states we got a pretty good idea where brazil is at we've heard you know argentina is terrible but that doesn't seem to have impacted the markets at, at all uh, so and uh, where's the how's the wheat crop going to turn out the winter wheat crop going to turn out in oklahoma and kansas um, we know that that's really tough conditions but uh, they may have gotten some rain this week too so yeah um, and it's all in the weather now <laughs> yeah yeah you know, and that's uh, that's uh, always uh, interesting you know you get the you get the large rally one day then uh, you know, somebody comes out and says there's a big rain somewhere and it drops uh, the same price the next day. So that's right. just the way exactly. it is. Yeah. Like you say, your role now is more in that uh, governmental affairs. And because of that, uh, you're also part of the Midwest Council on Ag. Can you go through how was that started? Why was it started and, and what the goal of the organization is? About sure about um, I don't know, six eight months or so after uh, Colin Peterson was defeated in his last um, election bid, uh, of course former chairman of the House Ag Committee, he uh, contacted me and he said I'm putting together this idea and this thought um, of an organization of agribusinesses, farmers, ranchers, and so on across the the northern plains here. Initially it was the northern plains, and uh, he said would you guys be interested in being a part of this and I said oh absolutely and um, and then uh, that developed further we we had more interest from other businesses around the area and and throughout the Midwest um, 10 11 states something like that now is that we have members from so but we started this Midwest Council on Agriculture I was the uh, board chairman the first year of it um, we now have a new chairman so I'm the, the past chair of course but the idea of this, I thought, was just fantastic in that Colin Peterson was certainly a, a, a very strong voice in Washington for agriculture, certainly for Minnesota agriculture, but also for all of agriculture in the Midwest. And and the people that we have there are uh, in uh, from, from Minnesota now in the House um, Ag Committee are and the Senate Ag Committee and, and same thing, North Dakota, and many of our states. I mean, they're super strong advocates of agriculture but they don't have that 30 years of seniority that Colin had. So we just knew that there would you know, more than likely be some kind of a gap there. Uh, and this was a way to bring a voice of Midwest agriculture back to, to Washington. Uh, so 
we're somewhere, I want to say 70 or so members right now uh, from uh, Missouri to um, Illinois to North Dakota and South Dakota, covering all the states in between that mix. Uh, so um, good group. We were out in Washington, D.C. Uh, at the end of March and made Hill visits and um, very productive Hill visits. It's interesting. Uh, the folks in Washington still want to talk to Colin and they, they want to get his advice. They want to trust him. Uh, we were in the hallways there. Or, or he was in the hallways with a group uh, in, in the Capitol waiting to speak to um, Senator Hoban, I believe. And Senator Klobuchar, I'm sorry, Senator um, Stabenow from Michigan walked by and started talking to him and then asked if he had time later in the day to meet. And they met up and visited for about two hours to talk about the farm bill and other agriculture issues. So he still has a really strong voice in D.C. And this is a way uh, that we can, I guess, leverage that that impact and influence that he has and leverage it for agriculture in the Midwest. Yeah, we can sort of use him as sort of that oil in the political engine to keep it uh, going smoothly or as smoothly as we can hope for. As smoothly as we can hope for, right. Help moving along anyway. I, I was on that trip and you know, when you are going from the Senate buildings over to the House buildings and then back and forth, uh, you can definitely get your 20,000 steps in that day. <laughs> oh yeah, easily. That was, and, a, that uh, was a good week. Mm -hmm. it, it was a good week. Um, yes, going back a little bit to crop insurance, I, I had another um, podcast with uh, Dave Jansen dealing with crop insurance, and we were talking a little bit about how there are major differences in regions as far as pricing on crop insurance. And, you know, Dave is based in central Illinois, which the crop insurance there, even for 85%, is relatively inexpensive compared to your part of the country. What is, you know, what, what do you typically see in the Dakotas or maybe Western Minnesota, at what levels do farmers typically do crop insurance before they're gonna end up, it, it starts to get too expensive? Right, yeah. In uh, Northern Minnesota and across North Dakota, and I think a big part of South Dakota as well, um, the most typical coverage levels that farmers will purchase is, is at 70 or 75% coverage level. Uh, we get to um, some areas where they might be going into 80% if they've got some really good APHs uh, or on a certain year um, where the, of course, the premium changes a little bit every year. So, but for the most part, it's 75%. Very, very few are at 80 and or at 85% across most of this area. And it, it just gets too expensive. Um, we take a look at that from going from a 75% up to 80% level, you take a look at the dollars per acre of premium that you spend and the dollars per acre of coverage that you pick up, and it just doesn't make sense. Um, we'll see to jump from 75 up to 85, it might see it cost um, uh, 50 cents and you only, pay, or I'm sorry, let's say it costs a dollar and you're only picking up $2 an acre of coverage, you know, so yeah. it just doesn't, it doesn't, um, it just doesn't make sense to to pay that much additional premium for the little bit of of liability that you're picking up. Yeah, I've so, I've seen some quotes where if you pay a dollar, your maximum that return is like a ball a dollar fifty at the best. So it's like, yeah, why why would you want to do that? Uh, uh, now that's the year that you don't do it and you actually collect. So uh, uh, yeah. so that's that sometimes happens. 
So, so we're floating around ideas. In preparation for the farm bill, we did um, uh, had, had some focus group meetings with customers. We've had uh, a lot of meetings with our staff and just talked about what are some things that uh, farm credit could be bringing forward in the farm bill. And, and we got to the area of insurance and we were talking about the shallow losses and how do we have protection for that. And uh, one of our specialists said, you know, before we do anything on new programs or supplemental programs, how about if we get that 85% coverage level affordable for the farmers in our area? Uh, get more people on that higher coverage level, decrease that deductible for them, and then maybe we can get away from these ad hoc disaster programs as well. So we're, we're making it affordable, we're getting more protection, uh, reducing that risk, and, and hopefully saving some money for our federal government too by getting away from the ad hoc programs. Um, yeah. I mean, certainly in the last, what, five years, probably at least four years. I mean, how many ad hoc programs have we had? At least seven or eight or nine, just depending on what commodity crop you're dealing with. So the most recent one doesn't affect uh, Minnesota, but the rice protection or the rice revenue program came out, you know, uh, last week. So, you know, it, it, it just needs to stop. This It's hard to budget for these type of ad hoc programs. Yeah. Right. We've had six crop years, six years in a row, six crop years in a row with a disaster program of some kind from WHIP to WHIP plus to most recently ERP for that 20 and 21 year. And we've it's been uh, appropriated or authorized again for that for the 22 crop year as well. So um, there's plus, uh, yes, PARP, you know, that's uh, also sort of in conjunction with ERP phase two. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What I've seen so far, I think, and this is just me giving my view, it's not, you know, this isn't anything from Congress or anything like that, but based on the number of applications that I've seen for ERP phase two, um, you know, they were budgeting about 1.5 billion for ERP phase two. And as of right now, they've only had about 200 and Let's round up. They've had 300 applications that have come in. Now we got about uh, approximately two weeks left to get the applications in. I've looked at probably 70 of these, just just helping out people and CPAs dealing with it, and not a lot of it's going through. So my gut feel, and this is a gut feel only, Howard, is I think there's going to be some excess money in phase two that may allow the government to go back to phase one and top it up. That That's just a guess on my part. I don't know if you've seen or heard of a lot of phase two applications in your area. I've heard a lot of frustration about phase two. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not familiar with how many applications or, or what, what's been happening in our area um, on that, but I think you are probably right. And help me out here, Paul, on the phase one, didn't they do like a 50% or 75% it, just to be it sure? Was 75% that and they said the extra 25% would be contingent on how phase two went. So, so if, if they allocated a billion five for phase two, and let's say they only pay out 500 million for phase two, and that's just a number I'm picking out of the air, then there should be a billion left over to go back to phase one and, and allocate that billion to phase one. And phase one's been, I think they've paid out about 7 billion. 
So 7 billion times 25% is like essentially all of the funding for phase two. So, uh, you know, I don't know, you know, we'll, we'll see, but that's just the feeling I get. Now, PARP, they only allocated about 250 million for that. And that one I'm seeing more farmers qualify for because that one, if you're a uh, socially disadvantaged farmer, including women, that's one of the criteria, you only had to have a 10% reduction in revenues and other other farmers were a 20% reduction. That's a whole lot easier to meet than the 30% reduction under phase two. So we'll see. That's just some of the some of my spitballing, I guess, so to speak. We'll see what happens. Well, I think I think if we could get um, some more premium support on the crop insurance program so that farmers could, could get up to that 85% level, uh, we could eliminate all of these tassels of phase one, phase two, partial payments. Uh, and, and because we have a we have a proven delivery system there, we have a proven product. Uh, it's a contract program. It is insurance, so it's actually sound. And and um, and we've got a delivery system that gets it out to farmers timely. We're still right. making still making disaster payments out to farmers today for the 2021 crop year. You know, it's yep. two years later. Yeah. Well, like you say, if you're at that 85% level, let's say you have a tornado comes through and it wipes out your crop or a hurricane or whatever it might be, you're going to collect 85% on that because you have no yield and you're probably not going to have the harvest costs and so on. So from an economic standpoint, if you're at that 85% level, you should be maybe not whole, but you should be pretty close, especially if you can get farmers up to that level. Yeah, you're, you're getting close to covering all of your costs and it depends on where they're at. Um, you, you're not never going to be cover, able to cover that that profit, that that margin. And, and, you know, I would say insurance probably isn't meant for that, but, no. it, but it's going to help you cover most of those costs. Again, maybe not all of them, but it's going to make it easier to swallow. Uh, and even for farmers that have a strong balance sheet and a lot of working capital, I remember quite a few years ago having an insurance meeting and and uh, with different farmers in the room. And uh, uh, one younger farmer was saying, well, I got a strong balance sheet. I don't need crop insurance. And then another older farmer there probably had 20 years on him in age. And he said, you know, I've got a very strong balance sheet and I don't want to lose it um, or any of it. I, I don't want to take that hit to my balance sheet. Yeah. And that's why I buy crop insurance. So, and then the beginning farmer, of course, they don't have any room at all to take a hit. So the whole idea is really to, to help um, keep farmers in production, get help young farmers get started, take some of that risk out of them, uh, take some of the risk out of it for the lender so that their uh, cost of credit can, can stay reasonable and, and really keep land in production. Uh, so that we have uh, good food security. When it really boils down to it, it's about food security, and and that can equate to national security. So, and then you you brought up the fact that you know from a lender standpoint, if the farmer has crop insurance, you know there's a little bit more security for that loan. You know that yeah, they might lose some money, but they're not going to lose everything, and that loan's still going to be fairly good. Does your bank require crop insurance or does it just depend on the situation? Yeah, it depends on the situation. Uh, you know, the areas that we serve, uh, every, almost every farmer carries it on, 
on every, almost every crop. So it's there. Uh, and then just depending on the strength of the credit uh, might determine if we take an assignment on the crop insurance policy or not. Okay, okay. Well, I think, Howard, we'll go ahead and take a quick break for a sponsor message, and then we'll come back and uh, go over a few more items. How many years away is the long run for a farmer? Five years? Ten years? Top producers like Hans Reinchi, a blue diamond farming company in Jessup, Iowa, know RoboAgri Finance shares his enduring vision for the future. Whether it's building our grain site, or if it's purchasing the next field, we're able to turn to Rabo as a trusted partner to help us get financing to make those generational decisions. With unmatched financial capacity, local relationship managers, and a global network of sector experts to offer market guidance, Rabo Agri Finance provides enterprising farmers with a personalized approach to lending and financial services. Growing a better world together, Rabo Agri Finance. back everyone to the Farm CPA podcast presented by Top Producer. I'm your host Paul Neifer and we're going to rejoin our conversation with Howard Olson from Ag Country. Um, you know, do you think that we're going to get a farm bill this year? Well, there's a good question. Uh, <laughs> that's a question everybody everybody wants to know. So here's yeah, here's my thought. Um, will we have a farm bill completed by September 30th? I would say probably not. And we look historically, and we haven't haven't had that timely in the last, I think it's like five farm bills. So so probably not going to get it done by September 30th. Uh, but will we have a farm bill done by the end of the year? I think there's a pretty good chance for that one. There's a lot of drivers behind it. You, We've got the four, they call the four corners, you know, the leadership in the House and Senate Ag Committees. And... Uh, they're all very, very committed to getting a farm bill, farm bill done. They're all committed to making improvements in it. And, and we've heard Senator Bozeman talk about uh, a farm bill for the farmers. And so, so I, th- I think we'll get that. Um, and, and I think probably by the end of the year. Well, and certainly from your neck of the woods, Howard, you have several senators for sure that are, you know, very good proponents of farmers, uh, you know, Senator Hoven, Senator Thune, Senator Klobuchar, and and so on. I, I think uh, there's a definitely a strong base of farm support up in your part of the country. Right. And, and in the three states right here, Minnesota, South Dakota, North Dakota, um, four of the six senators are, are on the um, Senate Ag Committee. So, yeah. and and uh, in South Dakota, Minnesota, several of the representatives are on the House Ag Committee. So, um, and then and then they're all very strong advocates for agriculture. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I, I think that there's and, and it's a, a bipartisan group too when it comes to agriculture. Uh, we've just seen many many times where Senator Hoven is working together with Senator Klobuchar. For some kind of a bill for farming or for agriculture that and they're working together on it uh, jointly and, and both in agreement and want to get something done so we've got a good group there's a lot of support for it 
quite frankly, where the challenge is going to be is what happens in the the House and Senate leadership, and yeah. uh, what kind of push will Speaker McCarthy get from others for things, whether it's around nutrition or any additional spending or making cuts. Um, those are going to be the things that will hold it up. Yeah, well, we actually know that's part of what's holding up the debt uh, debt extension deal is the fact that uh, right. you know you have uh, certain members of the House really want to push the work requirement for for SNAP benefits and so on. So that directly affects the farm bill. Right. And and there's one where if they come to an agreement on something like around the, the nutrition and SNAP benefits, that may take a whole lot of that conflict of that um, of that discussion out of the farm bill, which we had yep. in the 2018 farm bill. And that's what held it up. So it could be a good thing here. Yeah. Um, if if they don't come to a agreement that they all like on on the SNAP and nutrition, um, we'll see it again as we discuss the farm bill. So certainly, certainly. And, okay. and by the way, my my money is on on uh, the debt ceiling uh, limit will be increased, and it'll be yeah. done soon enough. Um, yeah. No one's going to let that yeah. fall apart. This, so this is just posturing. This is just politics. Uh, um, you know, they want to point out how whoa the world's going to end, and actually we'll we'll get her done. It, it'll be at the Maybe not the last minute, but it'll be close, but they'll yeah. get it done. I, I just had this this thought. I don't know. I, I, I might get in trouble for even sharing this, but it, it just reminds me of, of a couple of roosters in the farmyard squaring off against each other, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a farm podcast, so I think that's a very good description. So, uh, and, uh, and now I won't tell you what my wife has done with the roosters that we've had at our uh, at our uh, <laughs> at our little farm after they attacked my granddaughter. So uh, let's oh, just say the rooster didn't have a long life after that. Yeah, there you go. Very good. <laughs> well, so I think, we're getting, you know, and go, circling back go. just on the farm bill, one other thought, Paul, if I may, um, if if it's not done by the end of the year, you know, that's probably that that's not the end of the world either, because there will be an extension. So yep. everything will continue. The farm programs will continue. Crop insurance has got a permanent uh, funding and nutrition does and and so on. There's a few orphan programs, and I understand it's in the energy title, and I haven't had a chance to look those up, but it's not a lot of money that would not get um, reauthorized with an extension. So if we can't get improvements in this farm bill, improvements for the farmers in the farm bill, it might be better off to just have an extension and not have the debate hit the floor and be open to threats and to cuts in the in the Title One programs or in the crop insurance program and so on. So, um, yeah. Well, like you say, we've had extensions the last three or four farm bills, and and everything worked out fine in the end. Right. Okay. Well, we're getting close to the end of the podcast, and I always have three or four questions I like to uh, to ask. So. In this process of your career, who is your mentor? You know, uh, when you threw that question out to me here in the notes ahead of time, I had to really think because back in the day, 35 years ago, we didn't have like assigned mentors. And so I just had to think about that. And, you know, my first, I think what I would look at as my mentor was uh, Gene Smested uh, from Valley City, North Dakota. He was my first supervisor at Ag Country. He was eventually the CEO at Ag Country and and was my uh, supervisor and boss and, and friend and mentor for for many, many years. So 
started there. Today, I, I would say it's um, Mark Nicely, our current CEO at A Country Farm Credit, uh, um, is, uh, just sets a very good example of, of um, serving agriculture and, and rural America. And uh, that's really what, what we're about at A Country and, and uh, what Mark is about and talks about every day and, and uh, makes a big impact influence. Okay, good, good. Now you're probably like me where uh, you got a lot of hours tied up with, you know, work and maybe travel for work, but uh, do you have time for any hobbies? I try to make a little bit of time for hobbies and, and I have more hobbies than what I have time, but uh, I enjoy golf. I enjoy fishing, snow skiing, um, snowmobiling, and I've got this terrible, I call it a hobby or a passion. Uh, my wife calls it an obsession, but um, I have some vintage snowmobiles as well. Okay. Uh, so, so what's the what's the oldest snowmobile that you have? My oldest, I have a 1973 John Deere, minor uh, John Deere 400. It was one that my dad bought brand new uh, when we were kids. Bought it at the Galesburg Implement in in Galesburg, North Dakota, and uh, we still have that one today. So, so all of, all of my sleds are John Deeres. That's um, okay. all I've collected. Mm -hmm. Now, does John Deere still make sleds, or did they phase oh. that out? No, 1984 was their last year. Um, okay, okay. Yeah. So, so that is a collector's item. That's uh, almost 40 years old. Would be the newest John Deere. So that definitely meets the definition. Right, right. Now, how many of those do you have? I have 20 John Deeres. Nope. I I agree with your wife. That's an obsession, but that's okay. <laughs> so, is there anything that keeps you up at night? You know. Well, besides my bladder, um, well, I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm and I'm thinking about the opportunities that we have to influence change and and to make things better. And and I think about thinking about things at work, at play, at life, and just uh, what's that checklist that I have, the things I should do or could be doing to accomplish these projects and goals. And um, I'm always an optimistic person, and and I think that we just have a lot of opportunities out there. And I think in agriculture. Uh, I look down the road to the next five to 10 years. I think there's just huge, tremendous opportunities in agriculture as well. And uh, we're seeing this really neat intersection here of, of agriculture and energy. And ag is going to be playing a big, big role in it. And I think that's just going to give us a lot of opportunities. So um, so that's where that's where I go. I just think about what else could we be doing? Yeah, I, I agree with you on that energy thing. I think over the next couple of years, we're going to see some i hope some good opportunities for farmers to participate in that and get extra value for the crops so i, I think that's going to happen I, I do too i agree and then what's your definition of success in farming i think uh two two parts it's immediate and it's long term and the immediate is it's just provide a good life for for your family today, for your family and your kids and, and so on. And then longer term to be able to see it continue for the next generation. Uh, I, I just, uh, I think that's a huge success in farming when we can see that continue uh, through through different generations and, and keep, on, keep on producing. I, I totally agree. Um, that's sort of the questions I had. Is there anything else you'd like to add, Howard, before we sign off? No, I think this has been just a real good visit today, Paul, and I really, really appreciate the time and, and uh, getting the chance to visit with you on, on everything agriculture and farming. Appreciate it. Perfect, perfect. Well, again, 
Thanks a lot, Howard. And this is the Farm CPA Podcast presented by Top Producer. I am Paul Nefer, your host, signing off. Uh-huh.